Welcome to Management 101, your home for learning about management and leadership in business. Now, here is your host, Max Winokur. Hello, and welcome back to Management 101. I am your host, Max Winokur. Thank you for joining me today. Today's topic, we are going to talk about delegation and empowerment. You as a leader can't do every single thing in your company, of course. That's why you have employees. As your company grows, this will only be more the case. There will be more things to do, but you, of course, will not have more hours in the day. And what I see happen oftentimes is leaders, as their companies grow underneath them, have a very hard time recognizing where they need to step away and hand off. And what ends up occurring is two things. First, the company slows down because the leader themselves is the bottleneck to things happening. A really good example of this is a leader who needs to sign off on every single expense that a company employee incurs over time. If you're signing off on every single expense, that's going to take up a lot of your time. It, of course, is not something only you are capable of doing. And you will inevitably prioritize other things over doing that. There are major projects, things to do, hiring to do, you name it, that come before approving employee expenses. And so over time, employee expense approvals will get slower and slower and to the point that employees might even start to get upset about how long it's taking them to get reimbursed by the company or you start incurring interest charges on company credit cards. Of course, neither of these is ideal, but if you don't figure out a way to step away from a basic task like approving employee expenses, you could see how over time that would grow into a really big problem for the company. So that's just one example but I think it highlights the importance of delegation as a leader. And the other topic that we will talk about today is not just how to delegate, but also how to empower. I find that many companies I work with will hand their, the leaders will hand things off to their employees, but then not really set up a system by which those employees are brought up to speed on how to do that thing. There's no check in place to see that it's being done effectively. There's no feedback mechanism set up so that the employee learns how they're doing it, what ways they need to do it better, and can be confident that they are owning it appropriately. So this episode will really split into two parts, delegation and then empowerment. Got a few different topics I came up with to chat through today. First, let's talk about the importance of delegation. I just gave the example of improving employee expenses. That's a very basic one. I don't think improving employee expenses really adds value to the bottom line of a company. And so the great idea of something to hand off. When I think about what the importance of delegation is for a company, I think about enabling the right person to do the right work. When I start a company as a founder, I might be one of one, I might be one of two or three. Everyone's going to do a little bit of everything. 
when I am setting up a marketing function, for example, it's probably okay that I know very little about marketing because whatever I create is going to be better than nothing. And a company, when it first starts, has no marketing function. So whatever basic marketing work that I do, whether it's paid Google ads or content generation for my website or some sort of sales development process, that's going to be more than zero that existed before. Great. Don't need an expert to do that. Let's grow that company to 10 times the size. Now we're 30 people. The marketing systems have existed since the founding of the company. Maybe I, as the founder, even created them. Now we've grown, and now the next step to take to make our marketing function and programming more effective require greater expertise than I have. If I, as a leader, insist on continuing to participate or in or even own marketing as a function, it's very likely that I'm not going to do as good a job as someone else will. And so I, for example, in my own company, the first time that I, I founded the company, I was doing all of the sales work myself. And of course, that was important because there were no other salespeople. No selling of my fractional COO services had ever occurred before. So I really had to figure out how to do it. And I didn't necessarily have the budget to go build a whole sales team or sales function or sales program. Now I've gotten to the point where I've had a number of clients. I've really honed my understanding of what problems I solve for companies. And I've also honed my understanding of what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. I can tell you I'm really good at helping companies solve scaling problems. I can tell you I'm not as good at lead generation. So whereas before I was testing out a bunch of different strategies, I was doing some cold emailing, doing some LinkedIn outreach, really pumping my network for referrals of business. Now I've narrowed down and seen what works and what doesn't. I know for a fact that I'm not going to be able to develop what works any further. It will take me a really long time to do. And there are a lot of better uses of my time, for instance, actually working with clients. The more hours I spend on sales, the fewer hours I can sell. So now I'm at the point of outsourcing that work to a business development team who helps me. They take the information I've gleaned from my work over the past few years of, oh, these are the problems that Max can solve. These are the ideal customers. These are the not so ideal customers. And now they can take it and make the messaging so much better. They can make the targeting so much better than I ever could. And I get to spend time doing the work that I am personally good at. I identified this need for delegation maybe later than I could have, but I brought something to where it needed to be to start out. And then I recognized the division of labor between taking this to the next level and doing other things is really important. And I need to focus on doing the other things because the value I create is not uniquely on developing sales leads. One of the other benefits of good delegation is not just that work will get done by a person who is better suited to it than I am. It also frees up the time of the manager to focus on bigger problems. Earlier today, I had a meeting with a client where he's the founder of a three-person tech startup. 
And he was talking about how he is not able to do all of the things he wants to get done during the day. I asked him some questions about it. And what we realized was he was spending a lot of his time telling someone else what to do as related to the product. Whereas if he created better expectations for the individual working on the product, so this is his senior engineer, he might actually be able to step away and focus on other things entirely. His time will be better used. He is handing off something to someone who's going to do a better job of it. These are really the two benefits of delegation is better use of your time and better productivity on the work. All makes logical sense, right? Why doesn't it happen? I'm going to tell a story about when I first became a manager. And if you've listened to this podcast before, you have probably heard some version of it. The first time I became a manager was at Uber. I was put in charge of the operations team for the city of Baltimore. And at the time, when I first joined the Baltimore team, I was one of two operations managers and we pretty much split duties evenly, but doing all the same things. There were just two of us. He left, the team was starting, the other operations manager left, the team was starting to grow. And I was the subject matter expert in all of the ways in which the Baltimore market needed operational support. I understood the right way to structure incentives. I understood the right way to manage supply quality. I understood the fastest and most efficient ways to onboard new drivers, demand patterns, all that. Great. As the Baltimore market grew, as we grew from a few dozen drivers to a few thousand drivers, it became a lot harder to manage all the incentive plans on my own. It became a lot harder to manage all the quality initiatives on my own. So we hired more people. The problem I had was I didn't, and not to be clear, not through any fault of these people's own. This is completely my perception problem. The problem I had was as we hired these people, I knew for a fact that I understood all these processes better than they did. I had been around the market longer than they had. And so my perception was that they weren't as capable of doing any of these things as I was. So even though we hired a bunch more people and I was technically their manager, I was still doing all of this process work myself. One day, my manager, who was the GM of the Baltimore market, she took me aside and she said, it was kind of pointless to hire all these people if you're going to keep just doing all of their work. When she put it to me like that, of course, that was like a light bulb that went on in my head. Well, of course, I can't do all the work myself. And if I do, why would we bring on all these other people? But I told her that the problem that I had was I didn't trust that these new team members were capable of executing this work in the way that I could. She asked me why, and we talked through some of these processes. And what I quickly realized, which I hadn't thought about before, was I had built all these processes with a lot of nuance to try to eke out every single ounce of potential impact that this process could have. So it would have all these different exceptions for different situations where we'd add 1% on incentives if X, Y, and Z happen, or we would manage quality with slightly different parameters if X, Y, and Z happen. I'd built all these exceptions that basically lived in my head. 
And of course I couldn't hand any of this off to someone because most of these processes were literally written in my head. How could someone else understand them? And so she sent me home. She said, I want you to take the next two days away from the office and I want you to write down every single one of these processes such that you can come back at the end of the week and hand them off to members of your team and train them on them. Those were two of the most impactful days and that was one of the most impactful conversations I've had in my professional career because it showed me how easy it was for me to not delegate, for me to lack trust in my team, for me to not help them develop into their roles, how easy it was for me to just hold on to everything and become that bottleneck that I just described. So I came back after a couple of days of just writing down all my thoughts. I wrote down a bunch of what ultimately I learned were standard operating procedures, ways of running processes. And over the following two to three weeks, I trained every single member on my team on one of those processes that they then went on to own. There was a learning curve. Mistakes were made at first, certainly by me. For instance, I didn't set up the right checkpoints to make sure that these team members were actually executing on the process effectively. I just wrote it down, I explained it to them, and I handed it off and said, go forth and prosper. That wasn't ideal. The team, therefore, made mistakes in how they executed the processes because there would be exceptions, there would be problems with the tools that I hadn't outlined super well, and they wouldn't know it. And so they would continue executing on this process but not realize that the outcome wasn't what we were trying to accomplish. But at the end of the day, I would say a month after I handed these off and we had all these learning experiences around checkpoints and what was needed beyond just a written standard operating procedure, we also needed things like training videos and live chats, stuff like that. All of those team members were executing on those processes as effectively as I had before handing them off. And over the following two to three months, they made improvements on all of those processes that either I thought needed to happen and did not have the time to implement, or I hadn't even thought of maybe because I was spread across so many different things. So my barrier to delegation was trusting that my team could execute on the work that I was doing. And it turned out that that barrier was completely in my head. First, I had neglected to keep in mind that them focusing 10 hours a week on something was over time inevitably going to be better than me focusing five hours a week on that same thing. And second, I had partially made this self-fulfilling by not setting up any of this work to be done by someone else. It all lived in my head. So of course, unless someone was exactly me and could anticipate everything I would think, they would be unable to execute on something that I was able to. When I solved for both of these problems, first by rethinking how I allocated my time versus how I allocated my team's time, and second, by creating the proper guidance for them, not only were they able to take over these this work from me 
which was a better use of resources in the team, but they were also able to push those work streams forward in ways that I simply had never had time to. How do we know when something can and should be delegated? One way to think about this is how much time is being allocated to something today versus how much time could be allocated to it if handed off, if it were delegated. And the other way to think about it is how much of this thing is in my area of expertise versus is there someone with greater expertise in this area than I have? What is the relative benefit of handing this off, in other words? If there is someone who, for example, when I first joined one of my recent roles, there was a, a company had a data set that needed to be analyzed for determining the competitive landscape. I'm an analyst by training. I know SQL. I was able to get that data set into Google BigQuery and then write some basic queries to understand where the pockets of demand and potential opportunity were. Great. Easy enough. Now, if you were to hire a data scientist or a data analyst who is 100% dedicated to this project, they would have been able to do everything that I just described, but they also would have been able to take it five or six steps deeper and probably make a lot better predictive analysis than I could have, probably have more accurate predictions over time, and do a million other things that I wasn't capable of or didn't have the time for. Me dedicating a basic analytic skill set for part of my time served the job of getting something from zero to one. But once it got to one, taking it from one to two or one to 100 was going to require a lot greater expertise and probably a lot more time than I was capable of giving it. So it met two of those criteria. Another aspect to consider is what is the opportunity cost of you continuing to do this work versus handing it off? So not just is this task viable for handoff? Is it something that could easily be taught to someone or is it something that another person has a greater amount of expertise or greater time to dedicate to it? But what is the value? What would I do with my time if I weren't focused on this thing? So I was working with this company earlier this week, and it's actually the same CEO I talked about earlier. We talked about how by dividing his time across sales and collections and product, he was actually doing none of those things super effectively. So even if he handed off the product work, he just spent less time on it he could focus a lot more time on sales, which was the ultimate thing that was blocking his company from growth at the moment. The product was in good shape. The engineer was developing an add-on feature. Every moment he was spending helping the engineer define that add-on feature was a moment he was not spending on sales, which is where his company really needed him. So simply by delegating the product work, even if it was going to be done worse than with his involvement, 
he was able to focus on a much higher value add activity. And that was ultimately going to be better for the company. We talked about why delegation is important, what ways to think about things that are suitable for delegation. Now let's talk about actually doing the delegating. I think the, the first thing is determining who should be the person to receive the work. And then the next step is to have a conversation with them about it. These conversations for me have been most effective when I say, I have a key work stream that I currently own that I think you are significantly more capable of taking to the next level than I am. You have a skill set in X area that I am a lot less developed in. You have bandwidth that I do not have or some combo of those. And therefore, I think you are going to do a great job of taking this thing to the next level. The next part of the discussion is what does taking it to the next level look like? What does effective ownership of this work actually look like? So it's, I'm going, I'd like to hand this work off to you. And the expectation is that after going through a training and ramp up period, you are executing on this at the same level of quality as before. And then within three months, ideally you've identified ways to make it 25% more impactful. So the, let's say its target is closing sales. Our company is at 25% closure rate and this uh, work stream, this sales process work stream that I'm handing off has a large influence on that. Once I hand this off to you, the goal is to improve this to 30% close rate instead of 25. Or the goal is to figure out ways to automate more of this such that it took me 10 hours a week to run, but ideally it can grow with the company as the company scales and it only takes you five hours a week to run it. And now I've set the objectives. I've said, we're going to hand this off. Here's why. Here's how soon I want to have you be able to ramp up to running this thing. And here's what I want to see out of it long-term. And then I think it's important to also call out, I'm going to get you up to speed in these ways and make myself available to you in these ways to ensure that you are able to execute on this such that I am setting you up for success. It should not come across as, I'm going to hand this to you and then good luck. It should come across as, I'm handing this to you and I'm going to be your partner in getting you ramped up to it such that they feel like they are not being thrown to the wolves. So I have written up a basic PowerPoint that explains how this process works. I have also made a video that talks through the steps of each step of the process. And what we'll do is we, we can meet on top of our one-on-one, -on -one, we can add an additional 30 minutes a couple times a week to have you first learn about the process and ask questions. And then for you to start doing that process or doing that work with my immediate availability, not supervision per se, but I'm just, I am here to walk through with you basically be your shadow. And then after a couple weeks of that, maybe we can 
step away from the live feedback and have you run it. And then we will just check in once a week to ensure that it's still being executed effectively and the outcomes are what we want. One of the problems that comes along with that handoff process is where does decision-making authority actually lie in terms of changes that this person would ultimately want to make to the process once they've taken it over and looked at it and gotten used to it and they see what the opportunities are for doing the process differently, for improving it in some way. Whose decision is that? How much ownership does that person have over the process versus how much are they simply executing it while you maintain ultimate decision-making authority? That is a conversation that's worth having. Some things to think about. How impactful is this process? Is this a core business process? Is this a nice-to-have business process that's additive? What other checkpoints are there to ensure that if something goes wrong with this process or this work stream, that there is some way of knowing about it. The the lower the importance or the more the guardrails that are in place, the more comfortable you can be handing off decision-making authority to the individual. My general best practice is when handing something off to someone, you start by having regular check-ins on it where all the decisions are made together and you walk that person through your thinking as to if they bring up, I would like to implement an additional step in this process that I think or I would like to add in this tool, this automation that will help this process move much faster, review it with them, and then you can talk them through the way you'd think about it. And over time, the goal should be to hand off ultimate decision-making power to them that shouldn't necessarily happen immediately or all at once. Once a process has been handed off to someone, another key piece to making this work effectively is the communication about that this has happened. By default, if you are the subject matter expert on the sales process and you have handed it off to one of your best salespeople or to a sales operations person, the rest of the company is still going to come to you with questions about the sales process. They don't know that it has changed hands. So as part of the delegation process, not only do you need to hand off the work, you also need to communicate to others that you've handed off the work, create multiple avenues of communication to ensure people are aware of it and also develop resources such that if people still reach out to you, you aren't simply saying, oh, I know the answer to this because I used to run the process. You have some way of funneling them to the new owner, either by just saying, hey, message this person or by saying, this is a resource page with everything you need to know about this process or this work stream. And here's who the point of contact is for it going forward. We have now talked through why delegation is important, how to empower your team members to take on new work streams or new ownership, what the process of delegation actually looks like, and what makes something a good candidate for delegation. Now I'm going to talk through some examples of challenges and mistakes that I have made in delegating work to individuals Uh, I think they're all good learning experiences and we can identify some of the common patterns. The first example I'm thinking of, of I worked with a client to help them develop a standard customer onboarding process. A customer signs up for the service and then 
the company needs certain pieces of information from them. It needs to explain to them how the service works and then ultimately needs to get them set up with their first appointment to use the service. Historically, before I joined, that was done in a very ad hoc fashion. Just whoever was available would help the customer sign up and do all that work. That became really inefficient over time. And so I took on the work of trying to standardize that process. This company had an entry-level operations person who was ultimately supposed to help me with that work. What we would do is we'd sit down together and we would say, okay, what's the ideal way to do this step of the process? And then the way that we'd go from there is this individual, this operations manager would step away from the conversation, write out a series of steps and guidance for how do we as a company handle this customer in this step? And then we'd come back and review it. And the goal I set for this individual was the documentation you write needs to be able to be understood by anyone doing this work. It can't be based on my own experience when I was first a manager. It can't be anything left to your own brain, but needs to allow you to do this work without thinking about it. It needs to be that well-written and that well-documented. We tried this with probably six different steps of the customer onboarding process. And he said, I can take this on. I can write all these out. And I thought to myself, great, this doesn't seem that hard. Not that hard to write out a list of steps in a document and maybe take some screenshots. Easy enough. He came back with all six of the steps completed. They were written down in the company's knowledge management tool. And he said, they're ready to go. Anyone could do this process now. And I read through them and I thought, these are a little confusing. I am not 100% sure what to do from step 2A to 2B. It seems like I have to go into this other tool because the screenshot is of an entirely different program, but the writing doesn't indicate that. And I thought at first, I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt. Maybe these are basic things that I had no idea about. I went to the CEO who I was uh, working with directly on most of my other work. This is the person who had hired me. And I said, can you read through this SOP? I want to make sure that I'm not just missing some key piece of information. He said, no, this makes no sense to me either. So I went back to the individual and I said, why don't we try this? Why don't we try you walking me through this process you've laid out for step three? Walk me through step three and I just want to watch live as you go between your standard operating procedure and the work being done. And he did that. And I immediately saw when he got to 2A or 2B or whatever it was, he switched programs. Great. So he knew to switch programs and he simply hadn't written down in the document that he needed to switch program. So I called out to him. I said, do you see what you just did? You went from Notion to the internal tool. Why didn't you write that down? And he said, oh, I didn't even think about it. Okay. Red flag number one. Great. He hadn't thought about it. That means that there's an opportunity to work on the actual process of developing this. I gave the feedback at that time. I said, that's an example of where something is still in your brain that we talked about before, where you did something in your brain that wasn't obvious on the page. And if I weren't in your brain, I wouldn't know to do that. And the light bulb went on for him and he understood it. Next time we met, I asked him to just redevelop one of the steps. We 
sat down again. I read through his process document. It made a lot more sense to me. And I said, okay, what changed? And he said, well, I think I understood in theory what it meant to not have something live in my brain. But when you pointed it out to me, that's when I understood how it played out in practice. And that was a really good learning experience for me. The next five, the other five steps that he wrote out took like two days. It was really fast and they were incredibly well-written. But when I had originally delegated this to him, I gave him a lot of space and what I thought was really good guidance. But what was clear to me in that the learning experience for me was just because I give good guidance in terms of how my brain works, I would understand that I want something written down to not just live in my brain. I would understand what that would mean. Doesn't mean that he would understand what it would mean. And so the learning here was we were doing something brand new for him. And so rather than just handing off and say, here's how I want you to do it, we actually probably needed to do a version of it together, support him more, and then let him spread his wings and fly once he'd done a couple reps of it. To boil this down, if this is something that the individual you're handing off to has never done before, it may make more sense to work closely together on it at first, such that they're seeing how you think about it and not just hearing you talk about it before letting them go off and do it themselves. There is also such thing as under-delegation. I talked about this earlier in the podcast. The problems here are very different. I was at one point working with the CEO whose company had grown from under 100 people to over 200 over the course of a year or so to start some context. Normally companies tend to start focusing on hiring ahead of people or ahead of HR around 50 to 100 employees, 50 being, I think, on the slightly early side and 100 being probably a little too late. The time the company gets to 200, you don't have a head of HR. That's a huge problem and potentially even a legal issue. This CEO wanted to maintain pretty direct control over compensation, promotion, bonuses, equity, performance evaluations, and all that. The CEO had a very specific vision of how all of that would work. What ended up happening was as the company grew without a head of people, the CEO was slower and slower to make offers to people. So we started hiring fewer people. The CEO also was making offers that made less and less sense as the company grew because, of course, the CEO was not well-versed in all aspects of people and HR, certainly not well-versed in it from the perspective specifically of the larger company size that we then were and how the trade-off is then made between salary and equity for certain hires, was not well-versed in all of the latest information related to how compensation bans are established and how you think about leveling in the company. So the company had gone to almost 200 people and still everyone was being compensated in a very individual manner. And we were starting to lose candidates because the compensation for their specific role made very little sense because it wasn't informed by a 
well thought through HR and comp policy. We were losing candidates because we were too slow to make them offers because the CEO still needed to be involved in making every single offer personally, literally had to make the offer themselves or write up the offer and then hand it off to the manager to make. And we were losing good people and not hiring as quickly as wanted because the CEO was insistent on managing the hiring pipelines themselves. And so instead of handing off that work to a head of HR, who then brings on a recruiter of some sort or a head of recruiting or create some sort of automation related to candidate outreach and resume review and holds managers responsible, this CEO is doing all of that themselves. And as the company grew, of course, all of the demands on the CEO's time were greater and greater. And therefore, all of these things got worse and worse. So right as the company really needed more people and needed to really adjust the compensation philosophy, all those things were in their, at their worst they had ever been. The head of people was finally brought on board after more than a year-long process, but this was not without cost. It resulted in the company's growth being significantly stagnated by a lack of senior leaders who simply weren't accepting offers from a lack of senior leaders who weren't getting offers to begin with because we were too slow to hire them and they were getting other offers and from people leaving due to dissatisfaction with their own compensation structure with what was ultimately a total lack of a performance evaluation process and the lack of all of the basic HR functions that come with having a really good head of people. So in this example, the company was significantly worse off because this CEO wished to retain control over so many different aspects of the various company functions, in this case, specifically HR, that People got so unhappy that they left and people were so unhappy with the process that they just simply didn't accept offers or join it to begin with. The lesson here for me was, I think, a very obvious one. And of course, it's hard to put yourself in the shoes of a leader who is at the head of a very fast growing company. But I think it's really important to always be taking a step back and saying, am I the right person to be doing all of these things? Am I a bottleneck on any key pieces of company function. If I weren't doing this thing, what would I be doing with my time? And the answer in this case was resoundingly, this people-related stuff needed to be handed off. And I think the lesson here is just to be doing that reflection as a leader, making sure you are constantly keeping in mind what else you could be doing and what you could be handing off. Maybe this company really wanted to hire a fantastic head of people and that process is going to take a while. In the interim, there were a lot of things like contractors the company could have brought on board just to ease the pain instead of having the CEO retain all of these responsibilities themselves. I just realized that this podcast has gone on for almost 45 minutes now. That is way longer than my normal episode and I don't want to bore anyone. So if there is anyone still listening, I will end your suffering here. 
if you're interested in talking more through delegation, which I know is a huge challenge for a lot of new managers, but also a lot of leaders who just have a very strong vision and want control over it, please reach out to me. I'd be happy to chat about this live, give some guidance. I really enjoy chatting through these types of problems. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. Hope you found some helpful tidbits about delegation and empowerment and have a good rest of your week. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Management 101. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to subscribe and leave a comment or review. That helps others find the show and we greatly appreciate it. Once again, thanks for tuning in to Management 101 and we'll catch you in the next episode.